Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, why don't you stand? We're going to give our attention to the Word of God uh, speaking together of uh, perseverance. Um, Reading two passages where Jesus is giving instruction, first in John chapter 6, beginning at the 37th verse. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is why why the Father sent me. This is his will. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There could not be more beautiful, assuring, hopeful words ever spoken, unless they're these found in John chapter 10, just a few chapters away. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not, I'm reading the wrong passage, but that's good too. Um, (laughs) And it, and, it re, and it bleeds right into this, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Our hearts are resistant. But that doesn't stop you. May, um, may your beauty, the beauty of your love, your keeping love, arrest us this morning, we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please. So the question is, will I make it to the end, right? Will I make it to the end? Have you ever been in a 10K race or a marathon or something like that, then you know there's some point at which you're asking what? I gotta make it to the finish line. I mean, a great start in a race is wonderful, right? But ultimately, it doesn't matter very much. It's, it's whether you finish and whether you finish well. Will I make it to the end? So just a few years ago, I had the privilege of going with my two sons, my two son-in-laws to Peru, Cusco, Peru, where we made our way to the Inca Trail uh, to take a four-day hike to Machu Picchu. And um, this uh, hike, um, it, at one point, you, you pass over uh, 14,000 feet in elevation. Um, where I live in, in Citrus County is about four feet above sea level. Uh, I'll give you a picture. And um, so um, this was arduous. This was difficult for me. And uh, certainly uh, I was asking, am I going to be able to do this all the time I was actually doing it? 
Uh, there was a point where I was with the, the kids and down the path, everybody's going up, we're making our way to Machu Picchu, but going in the wrong direction comes a donkey on a very narrow uh, path, the big ledge down into hell down there. And, um, and here comes a donkey the other way, you couldn't miss it. And, uh, and slumped over the donkey like a sack of potatoes is a man who couldn't make it to the end. And uh, my kids looked at me and said, Dad, that's the donkey of shame. You, you will not ride the donkey of shame. You, will, you are not going to quit on us, right? Will we make it um, to the end? Cascade said, gosh, he's in graduate school, has a baby, and all of a sudden COVID hits, and now he's having to take these hard graduate classes virtually, and he's wondering, can I finish? We have in our church numerous... Um, Soldiers who have been deployed into war zones. Some have um, been in the most harrowing of situations. Um, and there are certainly moments where every soldier wonders what? Am I going to go home? Am I ever going to make it home? And certainly their families are wondering um, the same. In marriage, it was um, uh, almost 43 years ago that, um, that my father-in-law gave the hand of my wife uh, to me in marriage. And while I don't wish to live one day on this earth without my um, wife, um, I do pray often that God would allow me to outlive her so that I can accomplish the mission, the responsibility that my uh, father-in-law gave to me, that uh, God has given me to get my wife to the finish line, to get her into the hand of Jesus. I need to put her hand into the hand of Jesus, and I pray that God would allow me to finish that race. And all of this raises the question, what about Christianity, right? What about um, getting to the end of the race, uh, still walking with Jesus? Because all of us know people. We know people who have professed faith, who have joined the church, who have been in Bible studies, who have had great enthusiasm, right? Uh, who, have, who have started the race and they've run the race hard, but at some point they dropped out. At some point, they renounced their profession of faith. At some point, they said, I'm not a Christian anymore. And they stopped running. So how, how do we know that that won't be us? How do we know that we won't walk away, that we won't go on some sort of sin binge, that, that we won't be so disillusioned by tragedy that comes in our life that we curse God or, or, or some... Um, disillusionment with, with a, a pastor or a church that wounds us so deeply that we will just denounce Christianity and drop out. How do we know it won't happen to us, really think that we're that strong? Is there any way to be sure that we can make it to the end of the race? That's where we're going as we talk about the doctrine of perseverance. You ready? Got a sermon outline? If you do, you might note that essentially the sermon is one point. And even in a Presbyterian church, I thought I'd hear an amen. Um, perseverance. What's perseverance? That's the doctrine, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 17, teaches perseverance. Perseverance is the biblical teaching that when God sets his love on someone, when God sets his love on someone, when God determines to make someone his, 
which the Bible says he did before he even created the world, that when God um, in space-time sent Jesus into this world uh, to accomplish our redemption, our ransom, to buy us back out of uh, the tyranny of the evil one, and that God uh, also in time sends the Holy Spirit into our life and our heart, opens our minds, so we see the beauty of what God has done and the beauty of Jesus, and we're drawn to him, and we become a follower of his, that once God does all that, that he will see us all the way through to completion. You got it? That's a doctrine of perseverance. God is in the habit of finishing what he started. It's, uh, it's not so much that we persevere, although that's the doctrine. We persevere all the way to the end because God perseveres. He never lets us go. Once you are in the family of God, you are always in the family of God. You got it? Once you have eternal life, you can't not have eternal life or you never had. What? Eternal life. I mean, if, if it's eternal, it's eternal. So you can't have something eternal and then not have something eternal or you, ne- or you never had it, right? Because it's eternal. It never ends. I, I think that makes sense, right? Um, so that's what perseverance is. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Some people like to say, once saved, what? Always saved. The confession says this. Um, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. You got it with me? This is awesome news. If God's got you, he'll always have you, right? This is awesome news. Now, what does this not mean? Let's start there. What um, perseverance does not mean, it doesn't mean this God is going to keep us. If we're his, he is going to keep us to the end. We do not keep ourselves. We cannot keep ourselves. God will keep us. But this does not mean that Christians are free of spiritual danger or difficulty, right? There is an evil one. He prowls about like a roaring lion, right? Um, the very fact that we are um, followers of Jesus, we belong to Jesus, plummets us into danger. Do you understand that? To be a Christian, to become a Christian, would be like parachuting into Ukraine right now. You become the object of the ire of the evil one. And there is one more evil than the leader of Russia. The evil one. And, uh, and of the world, right? Right? That's why um, Jesus, what does he pray in John 17? This is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's interceding for his beloved. He's about to die. This is the night of the Last Supper. He's praying to God. He says, watch over them, God. I've given them your word. My people and the world hates them. The world hates them because they're not of the world. Those are the very words of Jesus. So don't think that life will be easier Nothing about the perseverance of the saints that suggests that because you're a Christian, life on this earth is easier. One of the great corruptions of the church in the world, unfortunately, I believe, has come from America. It's called the prosperity gospel so that you can go to Africa and you'll find scores of people in churches who believe that because they follow Jesus, they'll be wealthy. They'll never suffer from serious illness, etc. That's not what the Bible um, teaches. We have powerful Um, opposition. You got it? Do you realize that every word of the New Testament was written by somebody 
who was arrested, beaten, tortured, jailed, exiled, or executed. That's what it means to be a Christian. If every one of the founders of the faith experienced that, why would we expect that we're gonna have an easy traipse through this world, right? This is Christianity. The experience of Christianity for North Americans is an anomaly. It's not like Christianity anywhere else in the world for 2,000 years, all right? So perseverance does not mean that Christians are free of spiritual danger. Secondly, perseverance doesn't mean that we'll never commit grievous sin. God's keeping us doesn't mean that we're not gonna go off the rails in uh, a serious way in terms of our obedience. Look at, look at the Bible, open the Bible, right? Noah got naked, right, and did some uh, nasty stuff. Abraham tries to give his wife away twice uh, to Pharaoh to save his own sin. I mean give her away sexually to Pharaoh to save himself. That was Abraham. He's the father of the faith. Jacob deceives his dad, steals the birthright from his brother. David, you know what he did, um, killed um, his best friend stole his wife, impregnated her. Um, the disciples, let's just skip to the New Testament, enough of the Old Testament. The disciples, do you realize the Bible's not a book of heroes? The Bible's a book of failures uh, who have nothing but the grace of God, nothing but Jesus. You get to the New Testament, and in their hour of need, after spending three years with them, after calling them, after pouring his life out for them, the disciples all turned tail and ran away from Jesus, didn't they? And Peter takes the icing on the cake. Having scorned the rest of them, I will never betray you. These guys might. I won't. Peter denies Jesus in front of a little girl's a fierce questioning, right? Not only that, Peter... Um, is prejudiced. He uh, is proud of being a Jew. He won't even eat with uh, Gentile Christians. Um, so there's, uh, there's our family of faith, right? Um, perseverance does not mean we will not commit grievous sin. And, and last of all, perseverance doesn't mean that those who profess faith actually possess faith, right? So the ma mere matter of saying words doesn't make you uh, a Christian um, Jesus said, many will say to me, you know, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, like picture Jesus returning to earth and then running to greet him. Lord, Lord, that's a Semitic uh, way of a, expressing intimacy to say the name twice. Lord, Lord, we'll, we, 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 we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did great deeds in your name. And Jesus said, excuse me, I'm not familiar with you. I don't even know you. Their very testimony in essence is what? Lord, Lord, we're the ones that you'll uh, really here for and you love because look, we've worked and worked and worked and done all these good things. They never got grace, did they? They never understood. So a lot of people who, who you know, to profess faith is, is, it can be done with just words. Um, but there are a lot of uh, short-term enthusiasts who fall away. Jesus tells a whole story about it, doesn't he? The parable of the what? Of the sower. A farmer goes out and he sows seed and some of the seed falls on, on hard ground and never, never goes into the soil. The birds come and, and uh, eat that seed. But the next two seeds he describes are, are ominous, aren't they? He said some of the seed, you know, falls in amongst the rocky um, soil and so its roots never go deep, right? And as soon as it springs up, uh, it, it doesn't last. And some of the seeds falls among the weeds and, and it, it springs up, but the weeds choke it out, the cares of this world. So the opposition of this world, the, the love of this world can choke it out. So a lot of, uh, a lot of seeds 
uh, will spring to life and the plant looks hopeful, looks like there's a harvest. This is the real deal, right? But then it dies. It's not the real deal. Got it? So to profess faith, the Bible says make, be, be careful to make your calling and your election, your salvation um, sure, right? Um, what's the evidence then? What's the evidence of, um, of real faith? That's why the Bible says the weeds and the wheat, they grow up together and you can't tell them apart, right? That's why churches have to liberally admit people into membership because we can't tell people apart. Some people are, 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 all are professing faith, but we don't know who ultimately is possessing faith. Ultimately, Jesus said, you can tell the good tree by its fruit, right? If somebody says, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I swear I'm an apple tree, but come harvest time, there's oranges on that tree, right? They're not an apple tree, right? You can tell the nature of the tree by the fruit on the tree, um, so what is the fruit that somebody who's genuinely converted begins to manifest in somebody's life? We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruits of the Spirit begin to show up in our lives. I have to tell you one fruit of the Spirit too is humility, right? A humble spirit. You know, um, People told me, someone on our, our staff told me last year they're just walking through the hallways of, of our summer camp. We hire a lot of college students uh, to help us do summer camp with the kids. And, um, and they just walked by this, this um, um, became the inadvertent uh, uh, hearer of this moment of humility. They said there were two college students standing there. They both went to Seven Rivers Christian School. Um, probably hadn't had much to do with each other since. There was a guy and a girl, and, uh, and they heard the guy say to the girl, you know, hey, I, you got just a minute? Because I want to tell you that when we were in high school together, I treated you terribly. I didn't regard you with value. And, um, and I feel terrible about that, and I'm, I am genuinely, genuinely sorry. I want to apologize. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like, right? The beauty of that. So you got it? What's perseverance? Um, what perseverance is not? So what's the foundation of perseverance? I mean, why can we say this is certain? Why can we have certainty that we'll finish? Because perseverance um, rests on the word of God, on the, on the, on the, the fidelity of God, the immutability of God's um, decision to love us and adopt us. Can you imagine um, adopting, uh, that God would adopt us and then later say, nah, that was a bad day. Why did I pick that one, right? That's a rotten apple. Well, they're all rotten apples that he picks, right? So God doesn't change his mind. This is immutability. God's not like us. He's not fickle. His love it does not change. So here's what I want you to understand. The fact that no part of our relationship with God ultimately depends on us. No part of your persevering ultimately depends on you. None of it. If it did, we wouldn't persevere. If any part of it were up to us, we wouldn't make it to the finish line. 
God saves us, God keeps us, it's all on him. It's guaranteed. Um, so let's look at John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, right? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I'll never cast them out. Now, is that true or is that not true? This is what Jesus said. All that the Father gives to me. See God's initiative. It's his delight to freely entrust these rebels into the care of his son, that there are those whom um, the Father has given to Jesus to come into this earth and redeem, and every one of them will come to me, right? Not might come to me. Every one of them will come to me. Grace reaches down and opens our eyes and causes us to see Jesus and inflames our desires to know him. And what does the verse say? And whosoever comes to me, I will what? I will probably not cast out. I will never, I will never cast out. Never. Never. So look now, um, you know, Jesus says, I will lose nothing, right? I will give them eternal life. That's life that can't be lost. Now look at John chapter 10. My sheep, Jesus says. My sheep. They're my sheep. I know them. I give them eternal life, right? They will never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand. No one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. Could it be any more emphatically stated than this? My sheep, he said, I've got them. I've got them. And my Father has them and me. And nobody gets my sheep from me. This is what, what uh, carpenters, I understand, can call clenching a nail. Put a nail through a board, and that sharp end of the nail, you can hit that sharp end and turn it sideways, and that nail's not coming out of the board, right? It's clenching the nail. Well, this is what theologians call the double clench of grace, right? Jesus said, I have my sheep. They're mine. I'm the good shepherd. Nobody takes my sheep from me. Nobody gets to my sheep. I have them. And then my father has me and them. It's a double clinch. Father and son. Blessed assurance, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, it says in Romans. Nothing means, you know what it means? Nothing. Nothing means nothing. Do you know what that means? You can't separate yourself from the love of God. You can't. That's the best news of all. Because we would if we could. But we can't. You got it? Now let's just, people ask a few questions about this teaching. Here's a question. What if I change my mind? What if I say I don't want to be a Christian? Think about a three-year-old who says, I don't want you to be my parents. Does that change the equation? What do the parents say? Go to bed, right? Um, That doesn't change anything. Is it unusual for a teenager or a young adult to say to their parents, I hate you and I don't want you 
to be my parent. And I don't want, I'm no part of this family from here on. Well, guess what? They're always in the family, no matter what they say. And you'll never stop loving them either, will you? Ever, ever. They have no power to exit the family or to exit your love. And you know what? Neither do you. Um, Our salvation does not depend on our perseverance. Um, You know, it's a long story. I don't have time for it, but I'll tell it anyway. um, So Abraham goes to God and says, come on, you promised me children. And, uh, and, and I've staked my life on your word, but I don't have any. You said I'd have more than the sands of the seashore. And, uh, and I got none. Now I'm too old. I'm not going to have any. What's the deal, God? What's the deal with your word? In the ancient world, there was a way of making a, a, a contract, an agreement, a covenant uh, between two parties. They would actually whack animals in half, and they would make uh, uh, an aisle uh, out of these animal carcasses, and it was a very graphic way of, uh, of saying something. And then the two parties would link arms and they'd walk through the carcasses uh, together and they'd say, may God watch between me and thee while we are absent from one another. And what did that mean? That God's still gonna be a witness to this. And if you don't do what you said, then may you be cut in half just like these animals. I bet if we did marriages that way, more of them would hang together, Right? You break this marriage, you'll be cut in half. Literally cut in half, right? So God tells Abraham, you're questioning my word. Here's what I want you to do. Take the animals, cut them in half, make the aisle. We're gonna do the ceremony. And Abraham does his part and he, and he waits. And Abraham, when night comes, he sees a smoking fire go and pass through the pieces. What's wrong with that ceremony? What's missing? Only Abraham, only God goes through. Abraham doesn't go through it all. You know what God's saying? My word is dependent on me. I will keep my word. You will never keep your word. So it can't depend on you. I will keep my half of the deal and I will be responsible for your half of the deal. What do you think Jesus came into the world to do to accomplish your half of the deal, right? What was the covenant God made with Adam and Eve? Do what I say and you'll have eternal life. We couldn't do it. So God took responsibility for it. Do you understand? Here's the basis of eternal security. If I change my mind. We change our mind every day. God has us. Second, what if I commit a really grievous sin? You will. You probably already have this morning. Like denying Jesus. Like loving other things besides Jesus. Right? Those are the really grievous sins. Oh, no, I was talking about murder or something like that. Yeah, those are bad too. Um, those might send you to jail, but there's all kinds of sins that could destroy your, you know, really corrupt your heart and your family. David commits a grievous sin. Guess what? Read Psalm 51. It's the most beautiful repentance. It's the model of repentance in the Bible. That's what will happen if you commit a grievous sin. God will restore you, right? Peter denies Christ. God restores him. Remember, um, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan seeks to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're going to fail. <laughs> you're going to fail bad. But I'm going to restore you. And when you're restored, man, you'll be a lion for me, right? You know, I want to tell you something. Um, 
there is no reason Jesus will ever close his heart to you, ever. We're not like that. We'll put up with people, put up with people, put up with people, but then there's a line, right? That's it, no more. Jesus has no line with his beloved. Um, He will never cast you out. You are not strong enough to fall away from God when he is resolved to hold you. He will hold you fast. For your Savior loves you so, he will hold you fast. And then people would say, but this doctrine's dangerous because if you tell people they belong to God, they'll always belong to God, take away the fear of hell, then people are going to really live lax kind of lives and they're going to kind of really do what they want to do. You know, you take away the fear of punishment. I mean, it's like the jockey. He carries that whip. He doesn't always have to use the whip, but sometimes he has to what? What do they call? He got to show the horse, right? He's got to show the horse the whip. So uh, I'm not sure we should be taking the whip away from, um, uh, from God with this kind of doctrine. You know, let me just ask you this question. Does fear produce secure, obedient children? Does fear produce secure, obedient children? No. Love does. Love does. It's the kindness of God that brings us to repentance, right? What transformed the apostles? Jesus spent three years with them, and on the way to the cross, uh, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. They completely don't get it until he dies for them. And they're transformed. And they go out and die for you. Every one of them. Because love, love is what binds us to holiness, right? Why, what keeps someone from cheating on their taxes? What keeps someone from looking at porn? What keeps um, somebody from shopping and, 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 and looking all the time at shoes and all these things? It's the love of God that fills our heart. We don't need we don't need, uh, we don't have to cheat in our taxes. We have a father. He provides for us. We don't have to cut corners. We don't need a nicer house, nicer countertops, nicer clothes. We don't need to lust after women to try to fill our hearts. No, it's love. But, you know, they said to John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, if you keep teaching the grace of God, then people are going to go out and they're going to live however they want. And Bunyan said, are you kidding If I can convince people of the grace of God, they'll go out and live how God wants them to live. So, here's the application, and then we're going to come to the table. The certain knowledge of God's persevering love should motivate us to persevere, right? Life is hard, and it requires some grit to be a Christian, doesn't it? Don't you love that President Zelensky in the Ukraine? What does he get up every morning and he tells people it's hard, but we're going to persevere, right? This is, the, this is why God gives us these words. Persevere, child, because I've got you and I'll never let you go. So we ought to persevere. It requires grit. Now, I had a high school football coach. When I played uh, football in high school, you know, that was just before I played in college and before my pro career, um, he did something I think was kind of manipulative. It's probably even wrong. Um, it seemed like a misuse of Christianity and all that. But, at, you know, we practiced in South Florida, get the helmet on, get the shoulders on, we're dripping sweat. 
um, and you practice, practice, practice. When practice is over, then you got to run sprints, 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 till everybody's ready to throw up. And then he would say, because uh, coaches like to do this kind of stuff, he'd say, one more lap, all the way around the track and the football field and everything, all the way around, one more lap. And I mean, you could hardly walk to the locker room at that point, and now I want you to run, you know, uh, almost a half mile all the way around. And, and he'd sit there and scream at us all the way around. And you know what? He'd scream stuff like, don't you quit! Don't you quit. Jesus didn't quit on you. Oh, come on. Don't give me that guilt just because you want to win on Friday night. But I've never forgotten that. And you know what? Jesus didn't quit. Did he? And it ought to inspire us. Um, persevere. I got a pastor friend who has cancer. Somebody said, he's, he's, he's gosh, he's, 70 and somebody said maybe it's time to you know ease back and enjoy what you, time you got left he said are you kidding me what horse starts to run slower when they see the finish line in sight right when you see the finish line in sight what do you do you sprint you sprint persevere not only that we should persevere with others jesus persevered with us we received persevering love we should persevere with people that we are tired of, sick of, frustrated by. We should give them persevering love. And you know what else we ought to do? We ought to help each other persevere. One guy wrote, some days I show up at church filled with doubt. I'm not even sure I'm a Christian anymore. And I'm kind of counting on you to sing faith back into me. Isn't that beautiful? I walk into the church beat up and wondering if I'm even a child of God and I'm counting on you to be there and sing the faith back into me. That's why we go to church. You don't go to church for yourself. You go to church because there's weak and weary and wounded people walking through those doors and they need you. They need you here singing the faith to them. We help each other persevere. We need each other. So we're doing that Machu Picchu hike. And the toughest part is called Dead Woman's Pass. Renamed by my children Dead Pastor's Pass. 14,000 feet. And for five hours you do nothing but climb. Five straight hours. Backpack on your back. My uh, four hiking companions are long gone. And they're up, at the, they're up at the top waiting for an hour for me to get there and wondering if the donkey's on the way down. <laughs> and when I come into sight, I'll never forget it, my youngest son, Tucker, sees me and he starts yelling, come on, Dad, come on, you can make it, Dad. But that's not enough. He bounds way, way down to where I am, grabs the backpack off my back, puts his arm around my shoulder, and is lifting me. Come on, Dad. We'll do it together. I'll never forget that. I made it over that pass. And it wasn't because he carried my backpack, and it wasn't because... He, he, he put his arm around my shoulder. It was because he loved me. 
love. Love causes perseverance. So the certain knowledge of God's persevering love should produce security. You know, in World War II, they had a huge problem, just like they have in Ukraine. They had a huge problem. They were called children uh, whose parents were lost. Parents died in concentration camps. Parents died in the war. Parents, you know. And there's all these children with nobody. And uh, so they were in these homes and, and big institutions and they couldn't get the kids to sleep at night and a psychologist came in and, and told the people, here's what you do. Take a piece of bread and put it in their hand before they go to bed. Because they're so torn up by uncertainty and fear. And so used to not knowing when they'll ever get a meal again that they can't rest Put the bread in their hands and they'll know they have bread for tomorrow. And you know what? They did it and the kids slept and they slept all night. Do you know what Jesus does? Before he left the earth, as a matter of fact, the very night before he died, what did he say? I want you to come to my table and I want you to do it until I see you again. And I'm going to put bread in your hand, right? And I'm going to put wine on your lips and it's going to remind you that you'll always have bread and wine in my house. You ever wonder why Jesus on the cross, naked, taunted, beaten, dying, doesn't look down at those creatures he made? He made the whole cosmos. He made everything. He made the oceans. He made the animals. He made everything. And these little twits down there are taunting him. Don't you think it might have occurred to him at one moment to just smoke them? But he didn't. Why? Because to smoke them would have meant to reject you. The one thing he will never do. Nothing will ever separate you from him. He will hold you fast. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.